existence. He spoke it into existence. He hath established the world by His wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens by His discretion. And so then we're here this morning. The God that we worship created the world. The God that we worship and obey is the founder of nature itself. If He's the founder of nature, then He has the right to change it, fix it. Get us back from the fall when he wants to. God has the right to do that because he is the one who made it. And so now let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Let's travel for a few moments to the Middle East. Let's walk down a dusty road. And for a moment, uh, what do we see up ahead there? Oh, look at there. There's a crowd gathering. What are they doing? Well, we'll find out. Verse number 1, Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 1. Let's read it together, if you would, please. Ready, begin. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. He'd been up there a bit, and uh, there uh, he, people are following. He's there at the Sea of Galilee area, not far from Capernaum, and uh, there they are. So uh, we look up ahead, and we see a crowd gathering. Now, a lot of people just passed on by. Jesus, however, uh, was there for the people who were willing For the people who were looking, for the people who were aware, not just chasing the almighty dollar no matter what, you know, chasing success or, you know, so busy in their worlds or sports or whatever. If we're willing to look around, we'll see Jesus. I say if we're willing to look around, we will see God working, an omnipotent God working. And so they happen to be looking and saying, hey, what's going on? And so verse number two, here's what happened. Behold. Now, the word behold always means, remember, look at this. This is a big moment. Behold. Be like saying, now really look at this. There came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Leprosy. Now, leprosy in the Bible is probably not leprosy that's found in the world today. From those who have uh, studied the Bible and compared it with the leprosy of today. Today's leprosy in the world is, uh, is known as Hansen's disease, and it is a, an extreme deformity of the limbs and the facial features. The bone actually disintegrates, and uh, your fingers just kind of swallow into your hands, and uh, it's just a terrible, terrible disease and very disfiguring. The Bible leprosy uh, appears to be a little bit different, and we see a description of it in Leviticus chapter 13. In Leviticus chapter 13, which the book of Leviticus is about the holiness of God, and there's a great symbolism here. Leprosy in the Bible is a progressive disease. It causes scabs, crusts on the skin, white patches. It turns the hair discolored and creates bald spots. The the word leprosy actually in the Greek New Testament comes from the Greek word lepra, which means scabs or peeling. Now, whether it's, the old, whether it's the leprosy of today or whether it's a different type of leprosy, it appears to have come from Egypt. In fact, uh, they have done archaeological finds and found leprosy or uh, the remains of it in mummies. And so, uh, God, maybe that's what God said when He was telling the Israelites, He said, if you will follow my word and you will follow these uh, guidelines, which included uh, hygienic guidelines, I will put none of these diseases, meaning none of these Egyptian uh, diseases upon you. 
By the way, that's a good symbolism of uh, spiritually speaking. The world has diseases. If you'll follow the scripture in your marriage and in your home, uh, we don't have to have all those diseases on our life. And so uh, a good reminder. Now, this uh, leper was a God seeker, and he had some tremendous attributes. Let's look at those as we go along. Four good attributes of this unashamed God seeker. Number one, he came with confidence. He came to God with confidence. Verse number two, behold, there came a leper. Nobody brought him. Nobody made him come. He came on his own. He just got up and he went to Jesus. He left the comfort of his home. He left uh, whatever comfort that was, perhaps. He left all of that and he came. He was a man who desperately who sensed his needs so desperately, he could not care less what anybody thought about his unsightly disease and his tattered clothes, perhaps because of years of forced poverty. When you were a leper, you weren't allowed to have a job. You weren't allowed to go out into the public. And so uh, he probably had a very, very tough lifestyle. Not only was he poor, not only probably didn't have enough to eat, but he had this unsightly, scaly disease and he was, uh, he was put off in quarantine, so much so that nobody would even be around him. And yet he seeks God. He seeks God. He sought God while he was sick. He sought God while he was, uh, had all these issues. You know, over the years, I've met many people. And I've met some that will say something like this, Pastor, when I get things straightened out, I'll start coming to church. Others have said, when I get my life together... You can count on me. I'll be in church. Now, friend, I need you to know something this morning. If you don't come as a leper, you'll never come when you're healed. We need to come when we're lepers to God. We need to, church is not a museum that you come to show off. Man, it is a spiritual hospital. And we need to come even when we're sick. Notice what it says in verse number two. There came a leper. Now, to us, that's just a little biographical part in the Bible. I promise you, that statement created a huge issue in the real world. A leper coming out of his quarantine, walking around in public, potentially getting within the bubble of other people's uh, presence, a leper with a communicable disease, he came out there, no wonder there was a crowd. They were probably incensed that he would do that. They were upset that he would do that. But this, he came as a leper. And we might uh, just have a side note here that uh, the, uh, the, the, the Bible plan is not to quarantine the nation. The Bible plan is to quarantine the sick. And that's what they would do. They would be off and that was the Bible plan. And then they would be able to be reintroduced into society. But the, and those were hygienic rules, but you got to remember when we read all these ceremonial laws in the Bible, although they have many wonderful practical implications, the fact is they are meant to be spiritual. They are meant to remind us of spiritual truths. And no, uh, no illustration of sin is any more real and graphic than that of leprosy. Leprosy is used in Scripture to remind us 
of the ugliness and the far-reaching consequences of sin. Sin defiles the whole body like leprosy. Sin is incurable like leprosy. Sin is contaminating like leprosy. Sin separates like leprosy. It makes outcasts of people. Sin makes people unable to go to the temple, heaven, unless they've been declared clean, saved. You can't make yourself better. The priest must declare, the high priest of our salvation. There is absolutely a tremendous picture. In fact, I just, in the preparation of this, actually read a sermon out of Leviticus 13 on the, all the different things required of for leprosy, I'm telling you what, it, and he likened it to Christ saving. I, I was shouting by the end. I mean, I could not believe how many things were so powerful. And even though that's not our message today, the fact is, folks, it is leprosy is a tremendous spiritual picture of the far-reaching consequences of a life that rejects the Bible, a sinful life. And so here we find this fellow, he came confident that Jesus is God, and that as God, he was omnipotent over disease. Now, he didn't know if Jesus would heal him, but he at least was confident. And I think that's a good reminder of ourselves. We are sick. Do I know he's going to heal me? I don't know that he will, but I know that he can. I'm 100% confident that he can. And that's what this fellow was. He didn't know where he would be healed or not. I don't think he was thinking like some say, well, boy, I just knew I'd be healed. I don't think so. I think he just came and said, all I know is he can heal me. He was desperate and he was confident that God could. Now, let's for a moment, and we're gonna, this is going to take just a moment, and this is going to be a good part of the message here. And that is, uh, we're going to discuss the three ways that God shows his omnipotence over disease. And they're all going to begin with M, and that's why we're calling them three marvelous ways to uh, an omnipotent God heals. First of all, God is omnipotent over disease because He uses medicine. Now, some misinformed Christians believe that medicine and faith are enemies. You will find that nowhere in Scripture. God never commands a Christian to avoid medicine. Now, I'm not saying that we should all be a bunch of pill poppers, but in fact, God never, uh, never says you shouldn't use medicine. In fact, it is often used in a very favorable sense. For example, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine. God says emotional well-being, mental health, good mental health is very helpful for your spiritual health. It is like a medicine. In Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 13, uh, here the prophet was speaking about uh, Israel, and he was saying that if you don't have a spiritual help, uh, if you don't apply the Bible, if you don't apply your uh, relationship with God, it's like having no medicine. Jeremiah 30 and verse 13, thou hast no healing medicine. And we all need medicine. Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 12, this is a very uh, interesting verse on this subject. And by the river upon the bank thereof, this is referring to millennium, in heaven. But thank God these things even are going on now. And on this side and that side shall grow trees. And notice the last part. I'll just skip to the last bit there. The leaf thereof 
for medicine. The leaves of plants for medicine during the millennial period. That's that thousand-year reign on earth where someone will eat a twig and they'll be healed, or someone will eat a leaf, you know. And uh, God just puts His anointing healing on everything during the millennium. That's why people live so long, as we're told. But it's also referring to heaven, and it's a very spiritual verse. But like so many things in Scripture, these things are already at work today. God already put healing properties into plants and into leaves. Did you know that 120 drugs that are in use today are derived from plants? Four of the biggest ones, let me share those, and you've heard probably of most of these. Number one, caffeine. Caffeine coming from the coffee beans uh, relieves migraine symptoms. And of course, for most of us, it has energizing properties. <laughs> That's why we call it Baptist brew. I mean, it is, uh, it is a good stuff. Thank God for coffee. But that drug in there, caffeine, has been given by God for a specific reason. It dilates the, the blood vessels. Number two is aspirin. Aspirin used for pain relief and anti-clotting. Uh, salicylic acid, I think is how you pronounce it, is found in the bark of willow trees. It is a very common, I mean, uh, who would have thought when that first person somehow scraped that uh, bark off of, an, uh, off of a willow tree and found out that it had such uh, wonderful properties? There's a third uh, one in much use today, and that is cocaine from the coca plant, used for anesthetics, and uh, of course, it's also used in a, in a, in a bad way, but uh, it, is, uh, it has been given by God to dull the pain. And I will tell you one thing, I've had a few surgeries in my life. I thank God for anesthetic, amen. I don't want those people cutting on me without that. And then uh, the fourth uh, very common one is digitalis. Digitalis comes from the foxglove plant. It is known uh, under the Lenoxin uh, brand name today, but it is used to treat heart arrhythmia and uh, even congestive heart failure, I noticed. Uh, but anyway, these are four very common things that are come from plants who would have ever thought, well, that's God's beautiful, wonderful provision for mankind. Even everyday food can be used for our healing. Remember what uh, the Apostle Paul said to Pastor Tim? He said, Tim, you are a sensitive young pastor, and you're letting all this stuff get to you. And you're, I think you're not drinking enough uh, fluids, and the fluids you are drinking is, isn't healthy. Drink grape juice, Timothy. It will be very good for you. And we all know that grape juice has wonderful properties for the health. And so uh, I think the food we eat is uh, something that even God uses. Now, we must know, though, and qualify the fact that medicine doesn't heal alone. If that was the case, then nobody would ever die, right? Because you'd take a pill, you'd never die. So we all know that medicine in and of itself can't heal everybody. It only works, and listen to this, medicine only works when a sovereign God, when an omnipotent God deems that it will work. If he chooses it for it not to work, it won't work. Many people have taken a pill, it didn't help. The same, another person takes a pill and it does help. That's because God, sovereign God, omnipotent God, chooses to let it work for somebody. And he uses it for the unsaved as well as the saved. Now, we also know that we can help medicine. Yes, we can. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4. For every creature of God is good. All the plants 
all the animals in the world and in the ocean are good. Don't say they're not good. And boy, some people don't like that verse. But anyway, um, for the every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If it is received, now he gives two qualifications. He said it should be received with thanksgiving. It is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so a biblical lifestyle based on the word of God, a biblical lifestyle and a life of prayer helps this matter. For example, uh, I believe that uh, following God's health guidelines works. But um, if, I don't, uh, if I don't live a biblical lifestyle, it doesn't really make any difference what I, how good that medicine is. If I live in sin, it's not going to work. You can't continue to live in sin and expect medicine to work. That's what God is saying here. It is sanctified. Ah, we sanctify food. We sanctify medicine by a biblical lifestyle and prayer. That's why whenever you take a pill, pray. Because only God can make that pill work. Many people will take a pill and it won't work. It is sanctified by prayer. In Scripture, we, and if you've been in the Bible, or excuse me, been in uh, religious circles, been in church for very long, you'll know that sometimes we anoint people with oil. Now, we do it as a symbolic gesture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is seen as, uh, uh, in, by the form of oil in, in the Bible. But there's a very much a sense that that anointing oil was actually medicinal. Take the story of um, when the, the, the neighbors there that Jesus talked about, uh, the Good Samaritan. Remember, he, uh, the man was sick, and he, it says he anointed him with oil. Not for prayer, but because it would help, you know, soothe the skin and other things. And so we get a sense that it was, uh, yes, symbolical, but it was also medicinal. Jeremiah, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22, he said, is there no balm in Gilead? Again, a reminder of the fact that Jesus is the balm that comes from Gilead. And uh, we sing a song like that. But there is a balm, actually was a precious resin that was derived from a unique tree which grew in uh, Gilead, which is the north, uh, eastern part of Israel there, known for its healing properties. In one day, this uh, balm tree would excrete about 50 or 60 drops of uh, this precious little uh, substance, this little resin. It was used for drugs. It was used for healing properties. God is an omnipotent God who is uh, who is sovereign and omnipotent over disease, and he uses, number one, medicine. Number two, he uses methods. Number two, he uses methods. Our wise, omnipotent God has given people wisdom, intelligence. Thank God for the intelligence that God gives mankind. I mean, it's just incredible. In the book of Proverbs, he says, he lays up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. And I'm telling you, there are so smart medical people out there in this world today. They have procedures. It's just un- unbelievable the things they do. And yet, only God can bless that procedure. Um, medical procedures, surgical procedures were very common in Scripture. One of the most uh, common ones, of course, even though it's a minor surgery, was circumcision. Now, we all know that in Scripture, for the male, circumcision was a symbol of a, of a heart that was cut and uh, cut the sin cut away, and a heart that was dedicated to the Lord, bare before the Lord. 
but I will tell you that was a very, a very real surgery to those people there. And it was, a, it was a surgical procedure that actually was deemed as a good thing. And so uh, very clearly in Scripture, God uses methods. And so thank the Lord for physicians. In uh, Genesis chapter 50, in verse number 2, Joseph called his physicians Blessed helpers, look what it says, Joseph commanded his servants, these were his personal servants, physicians to embalm his father. In fact, one of the names of God is, speaks to his omnipotence over sin and disease, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, he is called Jehovah the healer, and that means that when we pray, we're supposed to pray in the name of God, saying, God, you are the healer. I believe you're the healer. I pray that you'll bless this medicine. And because you're the healer, we ask you to do so. In Isaiah chapter 38, you got to love this one. In Isaiah chapter 38 and verse number 21, Pastor Isaiah went to the king and he said, brother, you need to take, put this poultice on you. Uh, take a little fig uh, compound uh, and it will, it will do something for the health of that sickness. And so uh, the pastor was the doctor. And so I just want to let you know, I'll take appointments after the service here. And uh, no, I won't do that. But I will take the money if you want to give it to me there. But uh, anyway, no, but Brother Isaiah was a, he was a pastor. He was a prophet. But he reacted as a physician. And he said, you need to do this. It'll help you. It was a procedure. Even Christ said in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, that those who are sick have need of a physician. There's nothing wrong. Now, we realize that he wasn't saying here, that, and the primary interpretation isn't that we should all seek out physicians. It's just simply saying it's an okay thing to look for a physician if you're sick. In the book of, uh, uh, we, we know one of the most beloved of all Bible characters was Luke. He was a beloved physician, we're told, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. And so God has three marvelous things, all beginning with him. He uses medicine, he uses methods or means, and number three, he uses miracles. Now, most of the time when people talk about, yes, God can heal, they'll say something like this, well, you know, we've tried medicine, we've tried this procedure, and now it's all up to God. Folks, I promise you, it was up to God at the beginning. It is up to God to bless the medicine. It is up to God to bless the, the method. It's not up to God when the end is near. It's up to God from the beginning. God uses medicine. He uses methods. He uses miracles. Occasionally, God just makes bare his mighty arm by healing outright. And that's based on the redemption Look what it says in Psalm 103. In fact, this is what Jesus even quoted. Who pardons all your iniquities? Look, who heals all diseases? Who heals all diseases? The doctor? Dr. Fauci? <laughs> who heals all diseases? Bless the Lord, O my soul. No, it is God who heals diseases. Forget not his benefits. Now, you need to know this that the privilege of physical healing is governed by the sovereign, omnipotent will of God. God heals whomever He wills to heal. It's His 100% choice. I don't have any will in the matter. Now, I may have a desire, but it's up to God whether He heals or not. It's up to Him. In, in Exodus chapter 15, Moses 
led Israel out of Egypt, it was a dramatic thing. After they had come out, went through the Red Sea, find themselves out in the middle of the wilderness, millions, hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps several million people, thirsty, three days out into a desert. They finally find water, and they are running to that water. They grab it, and they take a drink of it. Oh, it's terrible, salty water at the, at the, at the, at the water place called Mara, bitter water. And so what did God tell them to do? God said, I want you to take a tree, a tree throw it in the water, and it will be miraculously made sweet, beautiful water like you took it out of the well. And it happened. Now, there may have been some thing in that tree that sucked out the, you know, the, the bitterness, the poison, the salt, whatever it was, but I don't think so. I think the point is God was simply saying, I am the one miraculously that can make chemical reactions work. We're told that when the Messiah comes, by the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, Malachi was a forerunner. Uh, he spoke of the forerunner, John the Baptist, but he himself was a forerunner. And notice what he says in the last chapter of that, verse, of that book. But unto you that fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall arise. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look what happens. There is healing in his wings. Healing. And boy, I mean to tell you, from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, there may have been 400 years, but I will tell you, the book of Matthew starts Jesus with healing. Did you know that throughout the Gospels and in the book of Acts, even into the book of Revelation and the epistles as well, there are over 100 instances of physical healing, many of them by Jesus Christ. And by the way, these weren't psychosomatic things like headaches or this or that. These were oftentimes incurable diseases, diseases from birth. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. You say, well, does then that mean that since we're saved and since we're a Christian and since healing is in the atonement that all Christians are healed? No. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. You mean the same person whose sweat cloth touched somebody and they were raised from the death, Paul? And yet it says here that Trophimus was sick? Yes. The fact is God uses uh, um, miracles to heal, but it's his sovereign choice. It's his divine purpose. Sometimes when people have said to me, pastor, do you believe in divine healing? Folks, that's the only kind. <laughs> I just don't believe in divine healers. Some said, do you believe in faith healing? Well, yes, I believe that faith in the Word of God is certainly part of the healing process, but I just don't believe in faith healers. If that was the case, I like what Pastor Mike said, if those, first, if those people are really divine healers, if those people are really faith healers, then they ought to go to India. They ought to walk up the streets of India and heal all those sick people. No, they don't have any kind of uh, uh, miracle like that. That's God. <laughs> He's sovereign. He is divine. And when God, now we, we are supposed to pray. We're called to pray. We're called to anoint people with oil. We're called to lay hands on people. But whatever God does is his sovereign choice. We just know what we're supposed to do. It's kind of like giving out the gospel. I can't win a soul, but I can sure give the gospel. And it's my responsibility to do so. It's been said, and I think if we would realize, we'd see miracles. 
I know some medical professionals say, well, yeah, I've been in medicine, but I don't ever see any miracles. That's because you're not looking. But if you're looking, I think you'll see them. Someone once said, miracles are a retelling in small letters, the very same story, which is written across the world in letters too large for some to see. The fact is, many people don't really see the miracles because they're so busy looking at other things. All right, four good attributes of this God. See, for number one, he came with confidence. Number two, he came with reverence. Look at verse number two. Worship him saying, Lord, Lord, you are Lord. You are Lord. Worshiping, the Greek word there, proskuneo, which means to kiss towards. He was just falling on his face before the Lord. He was crying out to the Lord, oh, Lord. He came humbly worshiping the Lord. And by the way, I remind us all that he realized that first things first. He was a leper, but his first matter of concern wasn't getting healed. His first matter of concern was worshiping God. That's a good point there. And I will say, you know, during this virus lockdown, uh, we as a church, you may remember, we did our part. We certainly uh, tried to be part of the solution and not the problem. But when it became apparent that uh, maybe not what they thought it was, and uh, we, uh, we insisted on being able to meet in person. And uh, there were some people who wondered why we would in- insist on meeting in person because we were putting people at risk. Of course, those same people typically didn't have any problem with Home Depot being open. You know, they, they needed that to fix their house. But, you know, but and, uh, but, and here's what I say, have said to those people, and here's what I say again. Uh, putting people at risk, if you cared about others, no, because we care about others, that's exactly why we opened. That's exactly the reason, because we care. We care about people's souls. Jesus said, what does it uh, profit a person if they gain this whole world and lose their soul? Folks, the most essential in any community is a Bible-preaching, Christ-honoring church. And because we care, that's why we put at risk. And folks, life is about these kind of risks. This leper took a risk running to Jesus. He took a risk of his reputation. He took a risk about all those people, but he came worshiping Jesus, and he came that first. He came with confidence. He came with reverence. Number three, he came with deference. He came with great humility. Notice he didn't demand a thing. Lord, if you will. Lord, if you will. Folks, we have no right to command God to heal us. We have no right to command God to heal our loved one. We just have to submit to His divine authority. God, whatever. Whatever. I love you, Lord. I love you. And whatever you choose, I love you. I've said that so many times over the years. Lord, it's not my will. I don't get this, Lord. But Lord, I just, I humbly bow before you. I humbly bow to your will. And so that's what the Lord does. God, we almost come to God with deference and saying, Lord, I cannot and will not demand anything. Lord, if you will. That's grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. 
And so God gives us His grace and His mercy. It is manifested to people with humble hearts. This man came with confidence, reverence, deference, and finally, he came with insistence. Look at verse 3, and Jesus put forth His hand and touched him. What? What? Touching a sick person? Touching a person with that disease? Shaking his hand? Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. We understand that we see this in light of it happening as a physical healing. We're getting the story, right? This is a spiritual sense. This man got born again. He got born again. He fell on his face before God and said, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Please save me. Jesus said, I will save you. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This man was insistent. I will come close to Jesus. He got close enough for Jesus to touch him. Now, let me tell you that nobody touched lepers in this day. Not only were they socially a pariah, but medically and spiritually, they were even commanded in the book of Leviticus not to touch a person like that. Again, it wasn't to shame the person, but from a, from a pure uh, community health standpoint, it was to, to help against transmission of the disease. But it was a great picture of the fact that, that God, that we are sick and that we need, and that we are away from God, and we are away from blessings, but God can save us. But I want you to know, Jesus touched him. And I will tell you, there is nothing that that man needed more than to be touched. Touched. We live in a touch-deprived society even before this whole virus uh, stuff, but I will tell you, a, a touch. That's why Jesus said, greet one another with a holy kiss. There's something powerful about a holy hug. And, you know, there were ghastly studies done in yesteryear, especially under the Hitler regime, where they would take babies and deprive them of touch. And the results were absolutely ghastly. They failed to thrive, but you touch a baby and cuddle a baby. It's not only good for the baby, it's good for you. I mean, all those wonderful endorphins just start flowing inside of you. Last night, little Johnson ran up to me. He's like a little tugboat, you know. He comes running up to me, and I grabbed him. He buried his head in my, in my neck right there. And I just hugged him. And he didn't know that, that I loved it as much as he loved it. And uh, just all that, that wonderful touch. This man needed a touch. Jesus said, I'm not afraid to touch you. He touched him. And I will tell you, Jesus is not afraid to touch you. And for those of you that are sick with sin, and you think nobody wants you, and nobody would ever save me, and nobody would ever love me, and nobody would ever care for me, I promise you, Jesus loves you, and he will touch you. He will touch you and change you. And that's what Jesus does. That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 44 and verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, that formed thee from the womb before I was ever born. God touched me and touched all about my body. And if he has done that, then he can heal me. I am the Lord that maketh all things. 
God made us at creation, and he can still do that. That stretcheth forth the heavens alone. God doesn't need anybody's help to do what he does. I know scientists and NASA and CDC and everybody feels like they got it all figured out. I promise you, it is God. God himself who is in charge of everything. Now let's finish this question. Let's finish this story. Let's, let's go to the cherry on top. Let's go to verse 4. and That's all we'll be able to do today. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man. What? What? Don't tell anybody what happened today. What? That just seems so strange. Not when you understand what's happening. First of all, I think it's a very practical reason. Look, they were already crowding around Jesus. He was having a hard time getting anything done. He was saying, man, I need some private time here. I need to be able to deal with people one at a time. And I, this is going to cause such a big commotion. So give me, help me out here. Don't, uh, don't make this uh, such a big story. See thou tell no man. But I think we know, I think we find the real reason as the rest of the verse goes on. Look what it says. But go thy way. Just go away. No, no. Go somewhere. Show yourself to the priest. Ah. Offer the gift. Ah. That Moses commanded for a testimony. <laughs> the word priest there is a word for priest in the temple. Jesus said, brother, you are now cleansed. Go to church. Go to church. Now, specifically, this was part of a tremendous, beautiful, elaborate Old Testament ceremonial procedure for cleansing. It's found in the book of Leviticus. They would take an offering. One of the offerings was to take two birds. A leper would take two birds, kill the one. The one would be applied with the blood from the dead one, and it would be set free. <laughs> Woo! That's what Jesus did for me. Jesus applied his blood, and I've been set free. That's what happens to the sin of a leper. They are set free, and it's a beautiful picture. But then, but Jesus knew what he was doing. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Of course, he's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He said, go to the priests, because I don't want anybody to ever say, I do not believe in the law of God. I'm a fulfiller of the law. People run around today and said, you know, we don't need the law. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill it. Jesus said, I'm a Bible-believing person. Don't let that priest ever tell you that you didn't do the right thing. So go to the priest. Make him pronounce that you are free from leprosy. It, as I said, it was an elaborate ceremony. When it was all said and done, the priest would give the leper a certificate to hang on his wall. I was once a leper, but I am no more. <laughs> he, would be, he would be cleansed. The unsaved, Bible-denying, Jesus-hating religious crowd looked at this man and said, Now, tell me, we want to know, when was the first time you noticed your leprosy leaving you? When Jesus touched me? No, 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 no. We want to know, when was it that the leprosy actually left you when Jesus touched me? No, 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 no. We want to know. No, no. He said, no. Jesus 
healed me. Jesus healed me. No procedure. No, none of your uh, religious uh, ceremonies. It never did anything for me. But Jesus, one touch, he healed me. Show yourself to the priest. And that's what we got to do. We got to show ourselves to the high priest. And he can touch us and proclaim that we are set free. And then what do you do? Go to church and then give an offering. You know, people say they're close to God, but you get their pocketbook, you know, something happened, boy, that brother, something happened, that sister. You know, we baptize people. I think we're baptizing here this morning, but when you baptize somebody, too many people got baptized, but their pocketbook was sitting outside the baptistry. We need to baptize the person and their wallet. And boy, then you got something. This guy needed to give an offering and he gave an offering. It was all a testimony, a testimony. Don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to those, and even loved ones. I know your well-meaning parents don't want you to give because you need to save for retirement. You need to buy a house. You need to put food on the table. They'll tell you, you know, don't be all given to the church, you know. Folks, just respectfully tell them they don't know what they're talking about because Jesus saved me. I want his work to go forward. As a testimony to the crowd, I want to go to the temple and I want to give an offering. What a tremendous, beautiful, beautiful story. One of the, there's numbers of false doctrines that are associated with the omnipotence of God. One of them is called dualism. Dualism is the idea that there's a cosmic struggle going on. They're very common mindset of people, that there's this cosmic struggle of good and evil. There's a little good angel on one shoulder, a little bad angel on the other, and the, you know, a little demon, and they're kind of fighting back and forth. Both a struggle between God and the devil, and God and devil, and we see it you know, in pictures, God pulling people one way, and the devil pulling them the other way. Dualism. Good versus evil, yin versus yang. I hear people always saying, it's karma, good karma, bad karma. I want you to know something, folks. No such thing as dualism. God is in no duel with anybody. He is so far above everybody. He is omnipotent God. When I was growing up in the junior age child, you know, eight, nine years old or something, we'd play king of the hill. Have you ever played King of the Hill? It's a great game. It was not really complicated, but you just get a high place. If you could get an actual hill where when you fell, it didn't kill you, that'd be okay. But if you had to be on a couch or even on a table, you know, but King of the Hill, if you were up there, you were king. It was the job of everybody else to get you off of the mount. And then if you got up there, you were King of the Hill. And of course, if you were up there, you were doing the whole macho thing, you know, I'm king of the hill, king of the hill. I think some guys still have that same mindset, you know, king of the hill. But I will tell you one thing, folks, there's no king of the hill game going on in this world. God is so much greater than everything going on. He's like King Kong on top of Mount Everest. If you could even make it up to the top of Mount Everest with your little flip-flops on, he'd just flick you away like that. No, there's no, God is so far over the devil, so far over anything in this world. God has not lost control. 
And at any moment, he can use medicine, he can use a method, or he can just outright do a miracle. And whatever he does, it's all God. And that's why Jesus told this blind man, do this as a testimony. And friends, when, God, when, when you get healed after taking medicine, don't praise the medicine. Praise God who anointed the medicine. If you if had a wonderful procedure and the physicians were so good, yes, be grateful and thankful. Well, of course we would. But it is God who blessed that procedure. Because there's as many people who have that procedure and didn't make it. It's God. God is in charge. And God is over every disease. I am the God that's your healer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.